Well, in his introduction to his book, On the Crest of the Wave, C. Peter Wagner wrote this. He said, some things in life are optional and some are not. Wearing shoes is optional, but eating is not. Driving a car is optional, but once you choose the option, driving on the right-hand side of the road is not if you live here in America. Becoming a Christian is optional. But once you decide to ask Jesus Christ to take control of your life, involvement in world missions is no longer optional. He says, I'm not saying that these things are impossible. You can choose to go without eating, but if you do, you must take the consequences. You must be willing to exist at a low energy level to invite infection and disease, and if you persist, to die. You can choose to drive on the left-hand side of the road, but if you do, you're going to pay fines and you're going to cause accidents. And then he ends up this section in his introduction saying this, and you can reject world missions even if you're a Christian, but the consequences are clear. Number one, you'll find yourself sitting on the bench while you could be playing in the game. Number two, you will lose authenticity as a Christian. You say that Jesus is your Lord, but you'll be failing to obey him at a crucial point. And then number three, You'll be poorly prepared for the judgment day when what we have done here on earth will be tested by fire and only the gold, silver, and precious stones will remain. He says, whatever else this means, Jesus will not be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. This week I was eating lunch with a friend of mine who's not a follower of Jesus. I hope that you have people in your life that, that, that you know don't know Jesus as their Savior. We, we talk about this a lot here. If you surround yourself simply by Christians, I really feel sorry for you. I do. I think you need to have people in your life that don't know Jesus. And the purpose of that relationship is, of course, friendship and relationship and, and living life with them. But the most important part of that relationship is ultimately introducing them to who Jesus is and the difference that he's made in your life. I hope you have those relationships. I was having lunch with this guy this week, and I always know that's kind of an intimidating thing for somebody to do to eat lunch with a pastor unless you believe what I believe, right? Because you just automatically think, I'm going to shove something down your throat. I'm going to try to, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to And I try in those relationships not to do that. This guy is a very good man, but he doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And he said to me this. He said, Brian, in less than 20 years, things are going to start hurting on both of us. (laughs) And I'm thinking, dude, I don't know about you, but man, the stuff's already hurting on me. It may be 20 years for you, but it's not going to be 20 years for me. The stuff's already hurting. But I said, okay, I'll give you 20 years. I'm thinking, okay, I'll be 69. I can't even imagine. But all right, it's going to start hurting. And he said this. He said, when that stuff starts hurting, we're not going to be able to enjoy life like we can now. He says, we have to squeeze everything in right now. We got to do everything right now. If we want to do it, we got to do it. We have to do it right now. And he kind of looked at me. And I have a lot of these relationships in my life for whatever reason. And I just kind of looked at him like, huh. And he kind of looked at me like, huh. And we sat there at at a place we shouldn't have been, that Freddy's Burger place on High House Road. Great place. All right. If you can't make the Lost Trace, go to Freddy's. There's nothing in there that's good for you, but it is good. All right. And so, you know, I'm I'm going 20 years. It's not going to be 20 years. It's going to be 10 minutes and things are going to start hurting, right? 
But we sat there across that table looking at each other, you know, with the cheeseburger in hand going, huh. And he could tell that I kind of felt a little differently. And I knew that he felt exactly what he was saying, but kind of wondered, why aren't you saying anything back to me? And the truth of the matter is this, I can understand why someone who believes that all there is to this life is what we experience on this planet, and then we die, would want to live for this moment and for their self. I get that, I understand that. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it well in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 32, he said that if there is no resurrection, then we should all eat, drink, and be merry right now. Why? Because in the end, all we do is go back to dust. We, we cease to exist. And if this is all there really is, then I say, and I tell you as one of your pastors, enjoy it right now. Do everything that you can do because this is all there is. And in the end, we just die. We just cease to exist. That was his philosophy, and I get that. I understand that. If I was convinced there was no God, that he didn't have a purpose and a plan for my life, that he didn't rescue me from the debt of sin that I owe that I can't possibly pay on my own, then I'm, then I'm not doing what I do right now. And I don't think Matt is or Jerry is. I'm going to eat, drink, be merry. I am going to squeeze everything into this moment in time because this is all there really is. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you should think differently this morning. This life that we live here on earth today is not all there is. In fact, this life, if we're honest, really then is just a, a little grain of sand on the continuum of eternity. And Jesus talked frequently before he went to the cross to give himself as a sacrifice for our sin. He talked frequently about these things. He wanted his followers to know that he would be leaving and then he was going to leave, but that he was going to come back again, and they should be ready and waiting for his return. That's why in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 13, he tells them to be alert, to be watching, because they don't know when he's going to come back, but, but he is going to return. And, and if you look at the Gospels, especially at Matthew 24 and 25, there's almost this preoccupation that, that Jesus has in, in helping them understand that my death is imminent, it's just around the corner. I'm going to go away. I'm leaving you dudes here, and you got some work to do, and I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I want to make sure that you've done what you're supposed to do. He's getting them ready for significant change in their lives. They're going to go from simply being followers of his and following him along the countryside as they went from town to town and village to village and group of people to group of people. And he's kind of the front of the ministry. He's going to go back to heaven and now they're going to be the front. They are going to be the pioneers that are going to blaze a trail with the message of the gospel that's going to sweep across the land after he returns to heaven. And so that they would be ready, he's going to tell them several stories so that hopefully they will get the point. And, you know, it's kind of somewhat surprising in the 21st century, especially to some theologians, some great pastors, that, that Jesus just simply was telling stories all the time. I like what I read that Chuck Swindoll said this week about parables. He said, in the 21st century, some theologians look down on that, telling stories. It's not very sophisticated. You tell stories to children, not adults. <laughs> then he says this, that may be why so many adults have never learned the deep truths of Scripture, because we've left the simple stories and the children have learned them instead. That's why I love what's going on in our children's ministry. 
And our kids are hearing stories right now that aren't just stories. They're stories that are going to allow them to grasp the really very elementary truths of Scripture. And as a result of that, their lives are going to be changed. They're going to be different. We would do well as adults to understand and read stories. And I believe that's why that was one of Jesus' favorite methods of teaching was just simply storytelling. So if you have your Bibles or your phone or your iPad or something, turn to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. And uh, we're going to go through this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to do something a little differently than, than I would normally do. Normally we would, we would just kind of break it down and go through the verses of Scripture. But I kind of want to tell you the story. I want to read you the story as Jesus would have told it that day when he was giving it. All right? So we're going to look at verses 14 to 30. Jesus said, For it's going to be like a man going on a journey. Remember he's saying, watch, be prepared, wait. It's going to be like this, guys. Man's going to go on a journey, and he calls his servants, and he entrusts them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Now this word traded gives us the idea that he took that money and he invested it. Now whatever he did, it must have done really well, right? I mean, some of you enjoy playing in the stock market. You buy and sell stocks. This was the home run, all right? This was he bought the stock, you know, and a few days later, he doubled his money. It was awesome. It was great. Whatever he did was successful. Verse 17, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. He doubled his money as well. But verse 18, he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me to five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'm going to set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24, he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping what you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have at least received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. And verse 30, I think, is one of the most sobering verses. Certainly the most sobering part of this story is Jesus ends it, and even more sobering if you can picture Jesus himself actually saying the words. Verse 30 says, And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in summary, Jesus tells the story of a rich man who's about ready to leave town for an extended period of time, and he calls three employees of his together, and he gives them money to invest while he is away. Now the word that's translated in our English text, that word that's translated as slaves is the Greek word doulos, which is the singular of slaves. 
It was a general term that referred to any kind and level of bondservant. It was used of common laborers and menial household servants. But it was also used of skilled craftsmen, of, of artists, and highly trained uh, professionals. It was not uncommon for wealthy people to have many of these doulas, many of these servants that, that worked around their property and in their home. And here's what's interesting, even though they were servants to the wealthy man, to the master, scholars tell us that, that, that very, very often these doulas, they were uh, oftentimes more intelligent, had more of a business sense, had more natural ability than even the master himself. Now, some of you think, uh, yeah, when I go to work tomorrow, in fact, now that I think about it, I am much smarter than my boss. Why is, why is he the boss? All right? I, I know you feel that way sometimes. And, and that's, that's the way it was uh, for so many of these people. These were obviously people, they weren't just simply uneducated people that, that had uh, no skill set, no intellect, no drive, no entrepreneurial spirit. These were, these were people that were, were, in many cases, very intelligent individuals. And, and so it would not be uncommon for the master, for the owner of the estate to say, I'm going away and while I'm gone, I'm going to entrust into your care some of my resources. I want you to take care of this for me. It was as if he was saying, I'm going to give you the power of attorney. In other words, you have the ability to be able to sign for me. You act as if this money were yours. Invest it for me as I know you know I would want it invested. And because the parable illustrates the kingdom of heaven, the man in the story obviously represents Christ himself. And the going on a journey just represents the time that he is away from earth between his first and his second return here to earth. The slaves obviously depict professing believers, members of the visible church, whom the master, Jesus Christ, has entrusted with various resources to use on his behalf until he returns. And so he gives one of them five talents, one of them gets two, and then the third one gets one. Now, we think of talents as abilities. You think of maybe an ability to be able to uh, paint a picture. You think of the ability to be able to uh, throw a fastball or hit a three-point shot or play the violin. However you might think of that word talents, it's important to remember here that this word, word, word translated here gives us the idea of cold, hard cash. Certainly, it can refer to other things in Jesus' story, but really, the idea here is he gave them cold, hard cash. This was money. In fact, in Palestine, a talent was not so much just a coin as it was a measure of weight, and that measure of weight could be in gold, it could be in copper, it could be in silver, and Jesus doesn't specify exactly what it was, so it's impossible to calculate exactly what the value of these talents might be. But in doing just a little bit of research, in fact, in your study Bible there, some of you will read maybe that it says that maybe a talent was about $1,000. I think that's probably poor study to indicate that. Every indication is that in today's dollars, that this would literally be hundreds of thousands of dollars that he was having invested, if not millions of dollars that he's entrusted to these doulas, to these slaves, to these servants. The amount of money really is not that important. Now, the fact is that the talents are spendable cash, but money is just one of the things that God blesses us with, that God entrusts to us in order for us to manage them, not to misuse it. He gives it for us to manage, but he gives it to us to manage for who? 
for him because he's the owner. We are the doulos, right? We're the bond servant, the slave. In fact, John Ryle says it rightly when he says this, anything whereby we may glorify God is a talent. Our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges as members of Christ's church, they are all advantages that we have as possessors of the Bible. All of those things are talents. And so here is the ultimate question that you and I have to ask ourselves. If we're a true follower of Jesus is, what is my response to what God has blessed and entrusted me with? What is my response? If God's given me talents, if he's blessed me in incredible ways, what is my response to that blessing? Because I would suggest to you this morning that as a result of God's blessing, there is a response that is expected. There isn't one of you that sits here this morning and you go, ah, I got in the wrong line at that time. I got nothing, right? There are some that have more than others, but we've all been blessed. And so the question is, what is our response to that? Notice that he gives them assets to manage based on their ability to be able to do the job. He, he knew those people that were his doulos, that were his bond servants. He knew them, and he knew that this guy can handle five, and this guy can handle two, and just getting to know that guy, I'm going to give him one. And God does that with us as well. We've all been, been given different levels of responsibility, different levels of blessing. Some of us have been given incredible financial resources. Others of you, you're in, incredibly bright some of you are incredibly bright, but you have no money. <laughs> Some of you have lots of money, but you have no brain. All right, God, I mean, God gives us all different levels, different abilities. God gives some of us the ability to be able to articulate things, to put thoughts into words and to speak to people. God gives all kinds of different levels. God blesses us in different ways. There are some of you this morning that are here. You grew up in a Christian home. You've known and understood the Bible since you were a little child. And by this time, because of the blessing that you have in your life, that ought to have multiplied over and over and over again. And man, you ought to be a walking Bible encyclopedia because you've been blessed in that way. Others of you have just recently heard the life change message of the gospel. There's all varying different ideas as far as how God blesses us and what he gives to us. But the purest motive in the heart of a faithful servant would be to take what God has given me and use it for his glory. Use it in a way that I know he would want me to use it in order that I might point people to him. And remember this, we're going to talk about this here in just a few moments when we close. But it's not an equal return that God is looking for from each of his doulas. He's looking for equal effort according to our ability. And so when the rich man returns from his trip, he wants to meet with each one of these employees, with each one of these men, to see how they'd invested his money while they were away. And so the first guy comes in and he says, and any, any of you watch uh, Gold Rush Bearing sea gold, any of those? All right, there's a few of us that watch those. You people got to get with it, all right? Come on, watch some of these. This is good. Am I, Will, this is good. This is good. This is good for you. I love watching this. A gold rush, the season just ended. I have nothing to do on Friday nights now. Nothing at all. You know, I, you ever DVR a show and you can't even wait for the DVR to finish because you just want to watch it? You want to find out what's going on? 
These guys are up in the Yukon, they're looking for gold, and one particular group of men, they have this old guy, he's the father of, of the main guy, and he's like older than the gold itself, and um, he's the one that always does the cleanup, and then he comes out, and they're all standing around the fire, and he tells them how much they got for the week, and I picture this in this story that Jesus is telling, that he comes out of the tent, and he goes, guys, this week we got 25 ounces, and they're going, ah, it's good, 25 ounces, that's awesome. We were hoping for a little more. We got 25 more. And he sits it next to that. I just picture this in this parable that this slave comes out and the master comes. He goes, so I've been gone. I gave you five talents. What have you done? And he comes out and he goes, well, I have the five talents that you've given me. And he goes, but I got five more. Picture that. That's what's going on, I believe, in the story that Jesus is telling. And Jesus responds to him is that he's happy. Verse 21, well done. Well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'm going to set you up over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Good job. That's awesome. Second guy comes in. I picture him doing the same thing, right? I got your two talents. The master goes, well, hey, at least you didn't lose anything. No, no, no. I got two more. And he puts it out there. Man, that is good. That's awesome. And notice, even though Five talents went to 10 and two went to four. So he only made two, but he took what he had and he doubled his money. The guy that had five took what he had, doubled his money. There's certainly, as far as the amount of money, there's a greater return from the guy that had the five. But you'll notice, interesting thing in this story that Jesus is telling, the master's commendation is exactly the same of both of them. I think that's interesting. You say, well, what does this imply about about us and how this applies back to us and and how we make investments. I I believe this means that the Lord will entrust greater earthly tasks, but I also believe that there are heavenly rewards and greater service throughout all of eternity for those of us that are faithful and invest well what God entrusts to us during our time down here on this planet. This summer, we're going to do a a series during the summer. It's called, You Asked For It, right? And we're going to let you ask questions. Somebody needs to ask this question, okay? If you don't, I'm going to stack the questions. You know that's what we're going to do anyway, right? We're going to put the, yeah. No, we're really not. You need to ask the questions about, hey, what's this about the Bema? You ever hear about the Bema judgment, the judgment seat of Christ? What's that all about when we get those rewards? You don't really hear that much teaching on that, do you? We know that there's an imperishable crown, that there's a crown of rejoicing, there's a crown of righteousness, there's a crown of glory, there's a crown of life. I believe it's all of those things that are implied here, but I believe it's more than that. I believe that God will give you, entrust you with greater things here when he sees that you're faithful. I believe he will bless you in a greater way. I believe during the millennial kingdom, I believe that he's going to bless you in a greater way. We know that angels right now, we know that there are different categories of angels and they have different types of authority. And I believe firmly that that's the way it's going to be in eternity as well. So some of you are just going, I really don't need that. You know, just don't want to go to hell. You know, I really don't need that. I mean, if I could just kind of slide in, you're going to be pathetic. I mean, you're going to say, well, I'd rather live in the slums of heaven, you know, than in the, yeah, well... I don't, right? I mean, because because what I do in heaven, I believe is going to be a direct reflection on how much I loved and appreciated this glorious message of the gospel and what I did with my time down here on this planet. And some of us better get busy because he says, watch, because I'm going to come back. 
And you better be doing something with what I've entrusted into your care. And I believe many of us are going are gonna to do without a lot of things that God wanted to bless us with. There are going to be some of you in this room, man, I'm going to be coming by your house in heaven going, dude, you are awesome. I mean, I know that you really love Jesus. You love the gospel. You love teaching those little, little children back there in our children's ministry. And man, you were doing this and doing that in the name of Jesus all the time. But dude, if I would have known, whoo! And some of you, I'm going to come by your house and go, it's all right, man, you made it. <laughs> but I'm going, it could have been so much better. Go over to Matt's house. I mean... Going to that hospital was, a, was worth it. I should have gone there more often. That was, that was awesome. I believe that that's the implication here. That's why when it says, enter into the joy that's set before you. Well, the third man comes with a very different financial report. It says, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. <laughs> the third man, it's as if he's got this little speech prepared. Have you prepared a speech? Have you thought about when, when you get to heaven and, and you've trusted in Christ alone as your Savior, and so you know you're going to be at heaven, but have you thought about what it's going to be like when you're standing there at the judgment seat of Christ? Not the great white throne judgment, okay? You're in heaven. But now you're going to give an account for what you did, how you redeemed the time, how you used what God had entrusted to your care. Have you thought about what that speech is going to look like? This guy had. He basically says, hey, here's what I know. You're an unreasonable man. You expect people to do all the work, and then you expect to get paid. So I was afraid to risk what you gave me because I didn't want you to be disappointed. I didn't want you to yell at me. So I simply did nothing. I put it in the ground. I buried it here. At least you got your money back. The boss condemns him for laziness and wickedness. Wickedness because he accused his master unjustly and lazy because he had not faithfully used what he was given. The master goes on to tell him, hey, you could at least put it in the bank and gotten me a little bit of interest. Scholars tell us that at the time, the interest rates probably were about 12%. If you put money in the bank, you got at least 6%. So he's saying, you could have at least got me 6%. Maybe not double my money, but something. The master then gives the talent to the one who has 10 on the principle that everyone who has will be given more and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He then has the lazy servant cast outside into the darkness. Literally, what Jesus is saying here is that person is cast into the lake of fire, into hell for eternity. See, the third man was not simply unfaithful. He was faithless. No matter what his opinion was of his master, he should have acted in accord with what he knew his master would expect. But he refused, and instead, he went about his life doing his business, taking care of his stuff. And I would suggest to you that there, were a, there are a lot of us that live our lives that way right now, don't we? We go on about our task, even though we know what God would expect us as a follower of Jesus Christ. Is it possible... It obviously is in Jesus' story that some of us who think we know Jesus Christ really do not know him. We're phonies, we're hypocrites, we're, we're pretending to be what we're really not. If he would have been a true Christian, we know what happens. 
A person who wastes their abilities, a believer who wastes their abilities, their spiritual gifts, opportunities, they'll have their work burned up. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 3, that if anyone's work is burned up, he's going to suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So there are people, obviously, they're going to be followers of Jesus, and yet you're lazy, you're not good stewards, you don't invest well what God's entrusted into your care. You're going to get to heaven someday because you're trusting in Christ alone and our salvation is by faith, not by good works. But I like what Paul says, but only as through fire. Everything else is going to be burned up. You aren't going to have stored anything up in heaven. The person represented by this man has no faith at all and therefore no saving relationship with God. And I'm afraid that that this is kind of what Jesus was referring to in Matthew chapter 7 when he said that many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these wonderful things? And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you, depart from me. It's a sobering thought to realize that, certainly as a pastor, that there are people that sit here in front of me and Jerry week after week after week and we look into your faces It's a very, very sobering thing for a shepherd to think that there are some of you that are sitting right here and because of what we know Jesus taught in the Gospels, there are some of you that while you give lip service to a relationship with Jesus, you've really never known him. Your life has never really been transformed and changed. And Jesus is saying one of the ways in which we know that is because you don't use what's been entrusted to you, the blessings that God has given you for the furtherance of his kingdom, for his honor, for his glory. One of the surest ways to know. It's a sobering thought. Simple, yet profound and true. So what's the bottom line? Why does Jesus tell us uh, this story? If you could picture Jesus telling the story, it only took me about three minutes to read the whole passage. <laughs> Jesus just kind of told the story. and I always love it when Jesus told the story and he goes, that's it, now think about that. And he would kind of walk off. And I'd go, I'd just love to do that one time. Some, some Sunday I'm going to come out here, I'm going to tell you a story and go, think about that. And then I'm going to walk off. And you're going to go, didn't get it, okay? I'm not Jesus. So I'm going to have to tell you what I think Jesus meant by telling this story. Just real quickly, I'm going to give you five things that are going to be up on the screen. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a doulos. You're a bond slave. Everything you have to invest is his and should be used with his desires as the deciding factor and not yours. If you get nothing else out of this morning, if you will wrap your arms, metaphorically speaking, around that statement, and you will take it out with you, and you would say, from this day forward, April 12, 2015, I will live like I believe that statement. Northwest Community Church, this community will never, ever, ever be the same again. How about that? That's a pretty big statement, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a doulos. It's so easy for us to act as owners, right? See, if those guys would have been owners of that money, then when the master came back, hey, what'd you do with that money that I gave you that was yours? Well, hey, look, I had five, I've got 10 now. I had two, I've got two. I'm not a risk taker. I just went and I buried it in the ground, so I still got what you gave me. And the master would have gone, all right, it's up to you. It's not what happened though, right? Because he expects a return because we're not owners of our talents. Rather, we are managers. You see, that's the problem, right? You and I believe because our name is on the deed of that house, we actually believe it's ours. 
Now, we know it's not ours right now. We know it belongs to us and the bank, right? We get, we get that. But I'm, but I'm asking you do, you, do you think Jesus' name is on the deed? Or do you really, do you really, are you really so arrogant as to believe that you actually own that? You say, well, I got a 401k. I get a statement every month. It's got my name. It's my social security. I'm the owner. I got this car sitting out in the driveway. I have college funds for my kids. I have kids and they belong to me. We made them. They're ours. That's the problem with so many of us as believers. We don't understand our proper relationship to the God that created us and wants a relationship with us, that we are not owners, we are managers. We are slaves. We are doulas, bond servants. When we wrap our arms around that and we live that way, then everything we do with everything he's entrusted into our care, we do it with his, with his values in mind. God, how would you want me to spend this money? How would you want me to spend this time? How do you want me to parent these kids? Where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to live? How do you want me to live my life? Because I don't belong to myself. I'm a bond servant. I have voluntarily given myself in service to the God of the universe. When we wrap our arms around that, our lives will never be the same. Number two. God gives us all resources to invest, and he expects a return on that investment. (laughs) It's not enough just to say, you gave me one, here's one. When you invest money, don't you expect a return? If you don't, give me some. I'd like to use your money, right? I mean, some of you are in the financial industry. It's what you do. You're in the financial services area. It's what you do for a living. You ever have somebody that comes to you and goes, I'm going to give you this money. I just want it back. Now, there are some investments where you go, I just want it back. Just give me back the principal, right? But nobody ever comes to you that way, right? They want to return. They want to be able to retire someday. They want to be able to do something with that money. Well, the owner of everything that's been entrusted in your care has the same view. God expects a return on that investment. It's not enough to simply amuse yourself in this earthly life. One person said, don't find a rocking chair and yawn yourself into oblivion. It's not an option. Some of us have a lot, some of us have a little, but he expects us to get him a return. Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they'll demand the more. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, moreover, it is required of stewards, of managers, that they be found faithful. These are requirements. With every benefit, with every blessing comes a responsibility. Parents, you tell your kids that all the time, don't you? Don't they? Don't they tell you that? Well, if you want this benefit, then what? then you have this responsibility, right? If you want this phone, I want the passcode. (laughs) That's the way it is in my home anyway. If you want your own room, you gotta take care of it, you gotta clean it. I don't wanna wear a gas mask when I get to the door and walk over the threshold. You got it, you gotta take care of it, you gotta manage it well. God does the same thing with his children. Whatever he gives us, when he gives us responsibility, there's something that comes with that. When you're given the benefit, there's the responsibility. Number three, step out, take risk, live dangerously, take constant chances with your life and your stuff for his glory. I love this. It's one of my favorite things I told Jerry this week. It's one of my favorite things to preach. Live dangerously. Take risks. Some of you have never done that in your life, and as a result of that, you live very, very boring lives. 
on this earth and heavenly speaking. You live boring lives because you only do whatever it is that you can see. You don't want to take any risks. You just simply want to live very conservatively. And I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to step out, to take risks, to live dangerously. Do you think that those uh, two servants who got that money, wouldn't it have been just easy to do what the third guy did? I just don't want to lose it. I don't want you to be disappointed in me. I don't want you to... I mean, that guy that went from five to 10, I mean, he had to take some risk, right? He had to make some hard decisions along the way in order to be able to double his money in that period of time. The guy that went from two to four, it took risk. I wanna challenge you to do that, to take risks, to live dangerously. Some of you just need to do something totally insane in the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you've never, ever, ever done it before. You would get an incredible rush if all of a sudden you did something in the name of Jesus. Some of you that are so scared of homeless people and people that you just need to go down to Durham and you need to get involved in one of those rescue missions and you need to get dirty for the sake of the gospel. You need to take some risk and store up some treasure in heaven. That would be so awesome for some of you. Some of you are already going, please don't let me go there. I'd do anything. I'll help at Panther Creek High School. Please don't send me down to Durham. You know what those people are doing down there. They might kill me. Who knows what they might do, all right? Some of you are already nervous about that. Some of you, that's the greatest thing you could do. Some of you who are hoarding things, I watched this uh, commercial that's been on TV recently as I'm watching uh, CNBC and it's this guy. He goes, uh, my life expectancy is 24 years, but my money's only gonna last 15. And he, you know, he kind of gets this look on his face. And I'm going, dude, your life expectancy might be 30 seconds, which means you got too much money right? Think about it. 15 years, you and I don't have the next breath that we're going to take unless he blesses us with it. To say my money's only going to last 15 years, therefore I better hoard it. I better do something. I better not give. I better not live dangerously for the, for the sake of the gospel because what if, what if, what if, what if? There's a show on TV right now. It's on the Fox Business Network. It's called Strange Inheritance. Anybody seen it? All these strange things that people live, leave. I, I, I was watching it this week, and this guy left 200 John Deere tractors. His family sold them for a half million dollars. I'm like, dude, you should have sold the tractors and gone to Tahiti or something. Because that's the truth. We're all going to leave it. We need to step out, take risk, live dangerously. A pastor friend of mine said this several years ago, and I wrote it down, and I don't think I'll ever forget it. He said, my greatest fear is that I might be successful in life at the very things that don't really matter. <laughs> and I've thought about it. That's, my, that's me too. I don't want to be successful at the things that don't really matter. I don't want to get the commendation from my work that says, employee of the year. Wow, you really did well. You contributed to this. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to get all of those things and have plaques hanging on my wall and all of them are commendation for something that ultimately did not really matter. That ought to be your greatest fear as well, that you will be successful at the things that ultimately don't really count and don't really matter. In order to do that, you've got to step out, you've got to take risks, you've got to live dangerously. Four and five, real quick. Don't try to simply hang on to what you have. For some of us, that's the way that we live our life almost every day. We're just trying to hang on to whatever we have. I just don't want to lose it. A lot of us went through the financial crisis, 2008, 2009. We saw 401ks go down. We saw real estate values go down. And now we just go, I just, I just, I just want to stay the same. 
I just don't want to lose anything. And so you're doing everything that you can. And I can't make that investment. And I can't do this. And I can't step out in faith and, and do this. And, and this thing that I think God may be calling me, I really can't do that. Because if I do, that's the way we're living. And I want to try to tell you that you need to simply not live just hanging on to what you have. Jesus said it well in Matthew 16. He said, for whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will do what? He'll find it. It's the paradox principle. You want to have life? Lose yours. That's the way you're going to know what real life is. When you lose what you now think is so awesome, when you give it up and you live like this, with arms wide open, with the palms of your hands wide, rather than clenched fists, Jesus says that's really when you're going to have life. And then lastly, Jesus is returning or you, or you are leaving, so be prepared. Jesus is going to return. We believe in the imminent return of Christ. We believe that he could come before we close today. If he doesn't, we know one thing for sure. Everyone in this room, if he doesn't come in probably the next, I would say the next 90 to 95 years, pretty much everybody in this room, we're going to die. Be encouraged. You're going to die. Right? You know, for the follower of Jesus, oh well, Jesus is returning or we are leaving and we need to be prepared. We need to be invested in what really counts and what really matters. Because he expects a return on his investment. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not of this world. I like the old course that I know we used to sing in our church when I was a kid. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's the story of your life. It's the story of my life. Whether you believe it or not, that, that, that's it. The challenge is us, for us to live like we believe that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us stories that we can understand. God, there's no doubt in my, in my mind that if a, just a few of us really grasped this story and what you meant by telling the story, this church will never be the same. We will make incredible impact with the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community and around the globe when we realize that we are simply bond servants. We're simply managers. We're simply stewards. God, we believe that there is no one greater than you. God, as we said earlier, if we believe that, that ought to transform and change our lives in just a huge, huge way. I pray that we'll leave this place this morning with that on our minds, that there is no one greater, no one stronger, no one like our God. May we live that way as we sing it. We pray these things in Jesus' name.